you know, there, blocking is a thing we don't talk about ever, right? Never. I, you box out, right? You put your butt in the thighs. <laughs> and just, no, no, not you that. You get kind of, the rebound. No, we're talking about we're talking about how bodies are positioned within a scene, right? Oh, that, yeah. Yeah, we don't we don't talk about it a lot because it no. doesn't come up very often. We talk about stunts a lot, obviously. But God, the scene in this movie where Gerard Butler gets a steak delivered to his cell <laughs> looks like such dog shit. And people are so awkwardly moving around this cell. Yeah, it's a Just space. put it in a... Get a different room. That's bad. That's your setting. Yeah, that's, that's bad. bad that's bad location scouting. Yeah. That's what that is. Oh, yeah. boy. There's so much that just doesn't go right in this movie. It, it is a mess, but hello and welcome again to the Good Trash Undercast, where we gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in Film Says Chorus. This week's film is Law Abiding Citizen, which you'll never discuss ever. No, you won't. Um, I'm still Dustin. I think you could have a hard time proving in a court of law this movie exists. I'm still Arthur. I'm still Dalton. Sorry. Hey, you can He's tell because I'm the one that's talking. Yeah. Yeah. That, that one, <laughs> he is the one who talks. Arthur's right. I'm on one today. This movie really did it to me, guys. This movie may be questioned talking about movies on the internet. Good. Oh, yeah. It does that. So uh, anyway, if you're tuning in for the very first time, we are not going to avoid spoilers because this is an analysis show, not a review show. And that does mean that we have to talk about how it ends because it ends like a big steaming pile of garbage. It tries to be twisty and it's like obvious, but we'll get to that later. We'll try to avoid those spoilers, though, for the first third of the show or so. What, yeah, I will only vaguely allude to a uh, Shawshank Redemption ripoff. I yes. won't tell you exactly what happens. And I don't know why that sled would get him out, but it did. <laughs> that and... explains the poster of Rita Hayworth in his cell, though. Yeah, I mean, I get it now. So uh, anyway, uh, this is what it looks like. We'll have synopsis, which will be generally spoiler-free. We'll have um, thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews, which are spoiler-light. We'll expand the syllabus, which is more spoiler-full. Spoiler and then we'll be the most spoiler-est at the end when we do analysis. It's 2009. What actress... Uh, is on a poster in a cell. 2000. <sighs> Scarjo? Is it early for Scarjo? No, it's, that's early. Yeah, I'm, well, I don't... It's Halle Berry. Oh, man. Yeah, you got yeah. it. You got it in one. Yep. Yep, that's there it. There you go. I was going to say Jolie, but that may be a little late for Jolie. Uh, a little late, maybe, but maybe it, she's it's a possibility. Just a couple years after Wanted, Salt's out. You know, it's not too far out of the realm, Yeah. Gerard Butler's a you know a man in his mid thirties. Let's assume he's not a creepo. He wants an age appropriate uh, pinup for his prison cell. Why would we assume he's not a creepo? <sighs> he's a he's, he's, a, he's a family a man. Yeah, he's well, the look, he's a loving family. His man. family mannery has nothing to do with what he's capable of in this film. <laughs> Good lord, oh boy. I mean, you know, you can be a loving family man and want to do all the things he wants to do, but n for none of the reasons he wants to do them. Raises I deeper questions suggest. about the type of people the CIA hires more yeah. than anything. Background checks, guys. Background checks. It's yeah. important. <laughs> it's very well, I'm important. I'm sure they knew. And, Psyche yeah, I think that's what they wanted him for, right? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about this movie. Uh, Arthur, uh, this is your, your, your time to shine, baby. What happens in this, this, this flick? I'm pulling this from the IMDb, okay. uh, written by uh, user the film department. The plot focuses on a man who, 10 years after his wife and daughter are brutally murdered, returns to exact justice from the assistant district attorney who prosecuted the case against their killers. His vengeance threatens not only the man who allowed mercy to supersede justice, but also the system and the city that made it so. Make it so. Very good. Yep. Engage. Um, so there you go. That's what happens in this here movie. I guess we'll just talk about um, whether we like it or not. I think we've all tipped our hands at this point. No spoilers. Um, go ahead, Dalton. Tell us what we think. Yeah, I, there's just so much that's not good here. I'll tell you what. There's one moment in this film where Jamie Foxx and Gerard Butler are sitting down uh, having one of their many conversations. Uh, 
you, oof, you can only go to that room once. There's a reason there's only so many conversations between Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins and the Silence of the Lambs, right? Not I mean, ever. you can't, you can't. Not after every scene. Exactly. You can't <laughs> do it at every, like, major plot movement. But there's one early on where the camera kind of, like, rotates around the edge of the cell through the bars, and there's a good light shaft coming in. And I went, oh, shit, that's right. F. Gary Gray doesn't direct movies. I forgot because this movie's so bad. Uh, that there was one moment, like, every once in a while, something would happen. I'd be like, ooh, yeah. Somebody knows what they're doing here in this one moment. But there's so many times that this movie just can't come together. And I don't know if it's Butler, who is, I'm not going to call him a bad actor. I'm going to say he is not great. And uh, just not, he's not right for the role, though. Uh, I think he's good when you need him in the, like, we were just talking off air. I think he's great in the Coriolanus, uh, the, the Ray Fiennes uh, Shakespeare uh, picture. I think he's great in that. He's not right for this. Uh, Jamie Foxx is okay, but I think the character's badly written, and that's a big problem with this movie. This screenplay doesn't know anything about the criminal justice system, and all the lawyers sound like dum-dums. And I, oh boy, I'm not that smart, guys. I'm not. I'm, I'm here to tell you, I'm not a smart boy. But I, He's right. I, I'm not a smart man, but I know what a legal thriller looks like, and this isn't <laughs> it. Jenny, this isn't what it looks like. I, I struggle with this film, guys, and I, I think a, a huge part of it is plot threads. They just keep getting left dangling, and I, I can never get over it. We keep getting allusions to why Gerard Butler has been targeted for violence, and by the time we find out that he has a shady past, we just don't even care anymore because we've, we haven't been reminded in like 20 minutes that there was a reason for the crime that took place against him, and it never gets clarified, by the way. The the people who were... It uh, works better as a random act of violence, honestly. It does. Not explaining is a... Yeah, yeah, a, a virtue, not a vice. Exactly. Well, but the the problem is there are so many illusions early on by from uh, the guy who gets the light sentence uh, that kind of kicks off the whole plot that he knows that what Gerard Butler is about and like he deserves this, right? But is, did these guys get hired? Did, did they work with him for the CIA? Like, what's going on here? And it just never clarifies. And that for me, I know seems like a minor quibble, but it is just kind of like the the linchpin of this entire deck of cards that just caused it to come crumbling down. Obviously, there are actual issues that we're going to have to talk about with uh, the uh, ooh, disparity of justice inherent to, to our, our criminal justice system that this movie just doesn't think about at all. Like, ah, sure, all that stuff's there and is important, and we will get there, but just on its face, like, if this movie were better, I could ignore all that stuff and say, well, this is a fun thriller. It never gets there, and uh, for me, that's that's the sin. It doesn't even have the decency to be a fun, dumb movie. Very good, very good. Thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Hey, Arthur, do you like it more than Dalton? Probably, yes. Um, that's not saying a lot, probably. Um, I, 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 This is a movie that if it were on on a Sunday afternoon, I could watch it. I, I, I could give it that. Okay. Uh, just, I mean, to me, it is dumb and enjoyable enough to get through. And it's mostly because I like Jamie Foxx a lot here. And I, th I think his That's charisma true. allows him to supersede the material because you're right. The script is a mess. And I think that's the core problem here is the screenplay. I have a question about Jamie Foxx. Yeah. Why is he always whispering? Mm. He, you know, it's, a, it's he's a good, always whispering. It's a good tool to have in your belt, but yeah, you can't always go to it. He's like always whispering. It's he like likes a dramatic whisper. It's like Clint Eastwood always grimacing. You know, it just it's a, you gotta have a thing. One note. Performance. He goes big, well though. I like the yeah. way he goes big. 
I, I'm with you, Arthur. I, I like Jamie Foxx in like movie star mode. Like, right, not yeah. not doing a, a big character that asks him to change himself a bunch. Just yeah. like get, getting to be charismatic yeah. and fun. And he he's got charisma in spades, and I, and I enjoy that quite a bit about him. And I, I think that helps carry this movie quite a bit. To your point, I think F. Gary Gray puts together pretty well. I, I think he's able to connect the pieces as far as cinematically uh, in a way that makes it look pretty good. Uh, uh, and so I like those elements about it. Um, I, I missed the thing that this was some kind of a setup. Like I never got that, mm. uh, uh, with the Ames or whoever having set up this whole, or this was a paid job. Um, so I, I, I may have just missed that early on, but, um, so I didn't have those questions in the back of my head. Gotcha. But you know, that being said, the, the whole idea of this movie being, uh, the DA is like the, <laughs> the lead investigator on the, on the whole thing. Yeah, what? Huh? It makes zero sense. It exactly. has zero rules that it's following. Um, just make Jamie Foxx the cop. He could have been the cop. Exactly. They messed up the case. That's what Broadchurch is. Like, I mean, you, you could do it and make it work without having him be like the DA who's now investigating. It, it makes zero sense logically. Um, it's a weird amalgamation of... We do of, get to hang out with Cole, uh, Cole Meany a lot, though, have enough which to do. is nice. He gets like five lines, and I wish he had more. <gasps> He's so good. Yeah, he is. He, well, it's like when Regina Hall shows up and has nothing to do. Yeah. I was like, should I just go watch Support the Girls now? Yeah, there's there's so many that show up and nothing to do. Viola Davis, you know. Yeah. Um. So... You know, all that being said, it, it is a mess. It makes zero sense. Um, I would watch it again. <laughs> I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I would. I, I, I would watch it and just be like, man, this movie is a mess. Uh, and, and there's a difference, I think, where Hostiles you know, is the other movie I kind of think of where mm. it just had this vitriol hate at the end of that movie. Um, because that movie... It's very self-serious. Yeah, it felt like it was a prestige... It, it, it was being made as a prestige film and had this big soapbox to talk about these things. Mm. Law Abiding Susan is trying to talk about these things, but it never feels like it's, it's like the, the, the dumb kid in class who does yeah. good once in a while. It's like, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, and you're like, no, that's not the right he thing. Mostly you're, just draws yeah. the, the cool nineties. Buddy, you're off. Yeah. Buddy's your, buddy, you're way <laughs> off, but thanks for trying. Yeah. And that's what this feels like to me is yeah. it's a nineties film with a seventies setup and it just does not work in 2009. Well, we talked about that a little off air. I think, uh, the kind of boring visual palette of the late aughts, it yeah. really hurts this movie. Cause if it, this had some, like some of those big glass cubes from the eighties, Ooh, yeah. some neon. So, I could get into this movie. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, you put the right director, right screenwriter exactly. with it. I think it works much better. And you mentioned that off air as well, but this is, you know, it's very much a saw movie. It's very much an, inspired by those films at this point. You know, we've got two or three of them, uh, by 2009 mm -hmm. and, and it feels heavily influenced by saw feels heavily influenced by seven feels heavily influenced by the Alex cross material, uh, in the nineties. And so that's, it's a mess. And so, well, it is what it is. The, uh, the screenplay by, uh, Kurt Wimmer. I don't know if it's Wimmer or Wimmer, uh, but of Dustin's very favorite film, Equilibrium. I was going to say, uh, yeah. His, oh, he, well, no he, wonder. He's yeah. got some strong winners on his. Why don't you go ahead and read a few more titles off? Yeah. He's got some strong winners. All there. right. We'll, we'll give you a rundown. Uh, this is, uh, a gentleman you might know from films such as The Point Break Remake, Salt, Street Kings, Ultraviolet. Uh, these are all his screenplay credits, by the way. Now, his we director did... credits are, um, just equilibrium and ultraviolet. Did we do oh, no ultraviolet or 
Aeon Flux. We did Aeon Flux. Okay. Yeah. Neither yeah. one of them were good, but I can't remember which one we did. Aeon Flux is fun, though. Yeah. yeah Karen Kassam makes that movie look good. Uh, but the the thing that I had read was a lot of hands touched the screenplay before it got to that. F. Gary Gray. Yeah, which, this is a studio release, so yeah. yeah. It's kind of all over the place. Now, Dustin, where do you land on Law Abiding Citizen? Did oh, you love it? No, I, did, I didn't. <laughs> I mean, I, the glowing praise you were texting us during this movie when you were watching it. It is a steaming pile of garbage. I am not a fan. Um, and I don't even like the performances. I feel like uh, Jamie Foxx is too subdued, and I think everyone else is underused. It's just, it's a mistake, and Gerard Butler is just Gerard Butlering. Um, and uh, he can buttle. <laughs> yeah, Gerard Butler. <laughs> he, he can buttle elsewhere. <laughs> He's trying uh, so hard to not sound Scottish, and uh, he only nails it like 5% of the time. It, it's very, very unpleasant to watch. Poor and, guy. And, you know, it really does want to do that Saw kind of thing, except for the, the, the way Saw works, and I won't, I won't talk a lot about Saw right now because I want to talk more about it later, but let's think about like The Sixth Sense and other sort of big, twisty kind of movies, is that the, the fun, the enjoyment, the pleasures of those kinds of thrillers is in the reveal. And from the get-go, they're making the reveal. The very first time we uh, finally corner and capture uh, the first, the main guy who was involved in the killing, it's it's obvious who did it. It's it, it's obvious how it was done. It was just... it. You know, and when we, you know, we kill Mary Marsh, um, the judge, who's played by an actress who has a real name, not a character name from the West Wing that she once played for one episode, maybe two, um, she, you know, it's, it's sudden, it's surprising, it's shocking, but it you looks know, cool. It looks cool, but yeah, you know what happened, you know why it happened, you know how it's all working. You got the guy buried in the field, and you're like, well, yeah. And it was telegraphed. We're all talking about the time. Oh, we're out of time. Oh, we're in a helicopter trying to get there on time. You're not going to get there on time. Obviously, there is, there is no real suspense. There is no pleasure at the reveal. There is no way in which you were taken by the narrative and then have everything turn on your head in a way that makes sense and again a pleasurable kind of way and so as as a thriller of the ilk it's trying to be it doesn't do it then we can talk about ideology f gary gray you know better and i am mad at you um personally angry at you for taking either this job or I'll be allowing sure to, i'll be sure to give him a call when yeah. he's opening his <laughs> fate of the furious residual checks hey mr f uh... <laughs> hey hey f francis Franklin? I don't know. I'll look that up. Um, I believe it's Fitzgerald. Um, it's not. I made that up. I think you did, yes. Um, but anyway, it's, it's Ferdinand. Um, he is going, I don't know why he's doing this. He knows better. He should absolutely know better. And, uh, it makes the whole thing just a dog crap mess. And I'm just not happy with it at all. There are a couple of moments in this film where, there are a couple of lines and some of the beats that almost make it feel like it's leaning into this meta narrative slash satire of this genre, but it never capitalizes on those moments. There's a, like, it there's an early line. To. There's an early line when the daughter gets the snuff film. Uh, and you know, some, he's like saying, you know, this is a horror film, which is, feels very meta. And there's another line later on about how the bad guys operate or something like that, that makes it feel like it's trying to be, smarter than it is mm-hmm. uh, and and again much like the ideology or the themes it never capitalizes on that i just don't think it, i think the screenplay's not there and yeah. i i think you're right arthur i think I, it's felix by the way i think felix knows i think you're right dustin i think f gary gray knows that this movie is reprehensible and is doing his best to like try and like get clever with it but i just don't think it's there i think the the bones of it are don't support don't give him the support he needs to do anything interesting and i will totally give this in to did, F. Gary Gray did The Negotiator, which is an equally, like, uh, ten years prior, like, an equally kind of dumb 
procedural thriller that is way smarter about mm-hmm. these same kinds of issues we're talking about. Well, and I and I do think you know there's a way in which you can sort of justify anything you know reprehensible out of somebody's oeuvre because of studio intervention and those kind of things. And that 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 certainly is a thing that takes place. But you have to know the shape of the screenplay. You have to know the motivation of your characters. You have to know where this thing is going, and then decide to take the check anyway. And I mean, I I realize a brother hadn't worked in a while and wants to, you know, get back and do the thing. But this was a sellout moment. This is a loss of credibility moment. This is this is a thing where, uh, honestly, um, my trust is going to have to be re-earned after knowing this is in his filmography. Have you seen Straight Out of Compton? I have seen most of Straight Out of Compton, which well, I like. What's the next thing he did? I mean, that, that's why probably he took six years to do yeah. another project, right? Yeah. I mean, I. I, I, I mean, this movie didn't do bad, by the way. Uh, mm. So it's not like he couldn't get work afterwards. Uh, it opened with uh, 21, which is not a great opening, but it ends up doing... Oh, my gosh, I just had it. Sorry. Uh, yeah, over 100? What yep. was the budget? Uh, its production budget's listed as 50, which okay. seems about right. I mean, this looks like a $50 million movie. I mean, this is, again, I mean, this is the type of movie we don't get anymore, right? Domestic, I mean, though? It did 73. Yeah. Uh, for uh, like 127 worldwide. Okay. I mean, it, this, it did okay. This feels like a movie that, if it got seen by the right crowd, would have landed in the same kind of status as an Equilibrium or a Boondock Saints. It feels very much of that ilk, where it's like cool, 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 cool visual, cool twist, yeah, but just it's not that good. Yeah, it's uh, like what, a bunch of 16 year old boys wow. in this movie. You know, what does Eric King call it? Uh, vape cinema. This is real vape cinema. Yeah, that's that's Ooh, what this movie is. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's it's like. Two notches away from almost becoming a cult thriller. And it makes too much money. I, I think people for, see it and forget. Oh, I'm getting shocked at how much money this movie made. I assumed it was a bomb. Uh, it did okay. Uh, it opened behind uh, Where the Wild Things Are. Yep. Uh, they came out the same weekend. That was the movie I saw that weekend, was Where the Wild Things I Are. I did see this movie. I don't know if I saw it on opening weekend, but I did see it. I saw it in IMAX, the Where the Wild Things Are. Oh, that's uh, fun. It was very fun. This is the weekend of my birthday. Uh, that I, The year I turned 19, didn't go see anything that weekend. Weirdly enough, yeah, yeah. I go. usually go for my birthday. Didn't see anything. Well, I guess, uh, guess we know where we land. I guess we should, uh, should we expand the syllabus? I guess we'll go ahead and expand that syllabus. I'm going to go to you two first because you're taking similar veins. Well, um, I'm going to go ahead and tell the listener what we're doing real quick since you didn't. Oh yeah, explain the expand the syllabus. <laughs> well, for whatever reason, uh, Dustin, Arthur, and I have all put ourselves uh, in purgatory, and we have to keep coming up with. Uh, Film studies were the class syllabi uh, to discuss the movies we talk about on this show. Basically, we're just doing my job for me as it comes up. And normally that's a lot of fun when we do something like Stardust. Uh, but we had to do it for Law Abiding Citizen this week. So we're here. We're going to go. Arthur's got some ideas about uh, uh, social justice. I've got some ideas about people versus the system. So uh, you want to take this off? So well, yeah. again, just to be very clear, our conceit is we're teaching this out like it's a class. And so you've got this as part of the module. And yeah. so go. So I, I, I think start you know this whole thing is social justice right how the justice system is broken that's the main conceit of this film whether it executes that or not is definitely uh up for debate i i mean it doesn't do it but anyway i'm rambling um so i would kick start this class uh with the podcast that started it all uh podcasts were around but this uh, yeah one, the very no the very first podcast kick started <laughs> yes yes this uh there was recently that cover article about how 
celebrities were making podcasts mainstream, but I, I think they all forgot about Sarah Koenig and Serial. Yeah, baby. Um, because that's the one that did it. And so I think you start with just season one of Serial and you, the story of Adnan Syed and, and the way that trial is outlined and broken down. Sarah Koenig does a great job of doing that and looking at every piece from different angles. I think it's a great look at the uh, justice system. I think it's a great look at Baltimore's justice system and how that, that played out in 1999, I believe. Sounds about I right. I think it was 99, yeah. Uh, and, and then if you have time, I, I would probably go ahead and follow up with some uh, bonus uh, reading assignment, which is the HBO special, The tri- uh, the Case Against Adnan Syed, uh, that they did, which is kind of a spiritual sequel to Serial that takes place, um, kind of following that and, and all the fallout from Serial. And I think it's just an interesting look at, at the case in today's uh, light. Um, and then from there, I'd also watch the Central Park Five, uh, the the documentary uh, about the the boys in New York, Brooklyn, um, was that, somewhere in the area. Yeah, it's Brooklyn. Um, who were Central Park falsely accused, took a rap on a uh, assault charge, um, and has become pretty prolific again because of Ava DuVernay's series on Netflix. Um, Which Central is Park awesome. Five is a very fascinating watch. I think it pairs perfectly with uh, Serial Season One. I actually did that together in a comp class as a part of a compare and contrast assignment. Oh. Um, and, and I think they play off of each other very well. From there, I would move into uh, Fruitvale Station. It's a little mm. different, but I think it also kind of tackles some of these ideas that we're, we're wrestling with right now, especially in the here and now. Um, and so that, that's where I'd go. And then just for some fun, to kind of counter the programming of Law Abiding Citizen, I would put in Primal Fear. Uh, Richard Gere and Edward Norton uh, about a... Uh, tentatively wrong man, and uh, I think that's a fascinating uh, film that we should also do someday. We so, should absolutely do that. Absolutely, that's that's my syllabus expanded for a week or two uh, in that class on law abiding citizen. All right, very good, very good. Um, what do you've got um, there, Mister Dalton Stewart? Well, I like where Arthur uh, took it, and my direction is not too dissimilar, but it is more about just the idea of uh, people fighting the system within popular culture. Uh, I am also going to start with Serial, but we're going to be looking at Serial Season 3, uh, which I was a big fan of uh, from earlier or late last year, I think. Uh, if you did not catch up with the third season of Serial, I honestly think it's the best one so far. But this is, again, uh, the first season of Serial is a very much an extraordinary case in the criminal justice system. A law-abiding citizen is presenting itself about some extraordinary circumstances, uh, but seems to have very little understanding of uh, how plea deals actually function uh, and what they're used for. And uh, again, it seems like the uh, Kurt Wimmer, uh, who's going to get all the, the shit dropped at his doorstep because he's the only credited screenwriter. Sorry, bud. I know you're probably at script doctors on that, but sorry. That's This is how arbitration works. Uh, this movie doesn't seem to understand how plea deals actually function. So I think a good place to start uh, is with Serial Season 3. Uh, which is, again, just uh, Sarah Koenig and her team. Uh, we'll get some other uh, reporters on this season, which is kind of fun to break things up. Uh, but they are just hanging out uh, at the uh, Cuyahoga County Court Complex. Uh, it's the Justice Center in downtown Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, basically just meeting up with people who have pending cases and talking to them about their cases. Uh, you get some little snippets of just them kind of talking to somebody about the ins and outs, but then there's some other cases they get deeply involved with the ins and outs of and the minutia of. And again, so much of it is centered on plea deals. That is the backbone of our criminal justice system, which is, I think, something that a law-abiding citizen misses is that, yeah, there is a great injustice going on with plea deals in this country. It is people who didn't do anything wrong go ahead and pleading to guilty so they can go ahead and do a small sentence because they know they probably will not be able to be uh, declared innocent in a court of law. That's the real injustice. Uh, and law-abiding citizen... 
somehow does not know that this exists uh, because this movie exists in a different world uh, called Hollywood. Uh, but I think it's important for uh, just the backbone of how we're going to talk about this idea of uh, wrongful conviction and mistri- miscarriages of justice within popular culture, I think starting with some real shit is a good place for us to start. But next up, we got to look at the end-all, be-all wrong man movie. That's right. It's Harrison Ford and Timely Jones and the yeah, Fugitive. Baby. Hell yeah. Uh, I get just a good movie. We've been quoting that at work all, all in like the last two weeks. I, we just keep walking around like, when I came home, there was a man in my house. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's a good movie that understands that it doesn't exist within the real world. And I think that is a problem that a law-abiding citizen like so frequently walks up to the line of knowing that it is a movie and just it decides it takes place in some version of reality again and fugitive doesn't really seem to have that issue and i love it for that a film that tries to take place in the real world uh more of a contemporary with fugitive but also kind of between fugitive and law-abiding citizen and i think kind of a good keystone for us here is a time to kill uh Mm -hmm. which we have talked about on the show before i believe pretty sure yeah We've done a lot of Schumacher on this show. Uh, but again, that that film from Schumacher, we got Matthew McConaughey, you got Sam Jackson, you got Ashley Judd. It's a good flick. That's just a good movie. I think Bradley Whitford's in there too, isn't he? I don't remember him being in it. Somebody. There's a good uh, character actor in there as like a second-hander. Um, but that, that film is does a really great job of walking that line of kind of amping up the criminal justice system, letting McConaughey, who is a defense attorney, do all kinds of stuff a defense attorney would never do, letting it be a little silly, but again, understands the realities of the criminal justice system and how miscarriages of justice happen and how people react to them in a very emotional way. And again, it lets it be a big, melodramatic Hollywood movie, but I think it takes its issues very seriously. Um, not in, and not in a way that feels pandering or too serious for a studio movie of, of the mid-90s either. Like It kind of just perfectly nails it i think uh as best it can anyway and uh that that goes to show you that you can have this kind of big silly movie that deals with real issues and and doesn't fall flat on its face uh last but not least i think is kind of the er example of interconnected uh stories of like how crime can disrupt a city uh and it is m the fritz lang film from back in the 30s yeah good movie uh, kind of gives you the template for The Wire and uh, even Mindhunter uh, on, on Netflix. Like all, all these really great stories we have about taking a look at the idea of true crime narratives. Because you got to remember, the, the people who love true crime the most, more than we do now, is Germany in the 30s. Makes you think, huh? But anyway, uh, Fritz Lang sees a culture obsessed with true crime and makes a very interesting movie about child murder and how that up in society and forces criminals and gangsters to interact with each other in a way they wouldn't normally. Uh, and I think is a really great example of, uh, again, we got the killing from a few years ago on AMC with so many great examples over the last 10 years of people trying to tell stories about how crime upends communities and how it'll intersect criminal investigations and regular lives. And, uh, I think M is a great source text to look at, uh, for, for this kind of film and, uh, again, great performances, Great movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Peter Lorre rocks it. He's so movie. good yeah, in it. He's very good. He's so good in it. And I, I'm I'm normally one of those idiots. Uh, look, I'm an idiot. What are you gonna, What are you going to do? Uh, I have a hard time telling if performances are good when they're not in my native tongue. Sometimes, uh, 
You can tell. Yeah. Peter Lorre's killing it. Yeah, he's, he's, he's so absolutely good. crushing it. So um, I think if I was expanding the syllabus with this particular film, it would be in a screenwriting class and talking about the sort of hyper-planned thriller. And so, yes, Lee Winnell's uh, script, um, but James Wan directed. If you're going to have a Batman type, your screenplay's got to be airtight. Right, yeah, and so I, I think you'd do something like, uh, you know, Saw uh, would be one of the first places that we would go, and we'd watch that movie, because I think it is very, very well written, and it is super hyper-planned in ways that works along the the side of this. Also, David Fincher's film, uh, Seven, which was already mentioned, I think would also be another example of that, you know, Brad Pitt. And I, and I think the, the way in which that conclusion works uh, for that film is also very, very satisfying, because Brad Pitt goes the dark side. And he's uh, been unlikable for the whole movie. <laughs> And so it it really does something that it, I I think would have been more interesting had Jamie Foxx's character gone through the same kind of um you know transformation over the course of the film. And so I, I like that idea as well. Um, also, Primal Fear already mentioned I think would be another uh, great example of those great little slip twists that also sort of apply directly to the legal system itself. You know, there's a the, the procedural parts of seven i think are very helpful but i think the um, investigation into just what the legal system can and sometimes does not do very very well primal fear kind of speaks to some of that as well and richard Gere and edward norton both have great performances in the film as well so those uh films alongside their screenplays would be the way i would probably handle this in only a creative writing kind of thing because otherwise why would i talk about this movie um, I wouldn't. Well, that's that's uh, this is one of those classes. That, at least the way I built mine is we're going to show you all the ways that this works, and here is how, how it, it goes terribly wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes, look, even bad films are a teaching moment. Absolutely. I was say that was the whole setup of this show all those years ago was right to uh, Bingo. use the uh, the not so good movies to uh, teach the film stuffs. Yes. So there you go. So this is your fault. I, it is everything is my fault. Put that on your shoulders. Yep. So I have um, just I can throw it up with everything. Seven years else. of that. Yep. Just keep carrying it, bud. I will take it. So I think without any further ado, it is now time to get down to business. It's time to actually try to talk about this movie. Let's get down to business. You know, you said something about Jamie Foxx going to the dark side. And, I mean, it does. Like, it literally lets Jamie Foxx murder Gerard Butler, but it... It, not really. It resolves him. Yeah, like I want, I want a movie that forces Jamie Fox to get his hands dirty, mm-hmm. like, re- like really do something bad to catch Gerard. So Butler. some real. Uh, oh goodness, what's the uh, what's the film noir from the nineties mm. with uh, Russell Crowe? Oh, um, yeah, 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 oh shit, and Guy Pierce. Yeah, the oh, it's so good, and Danny DeVito, and that guy that and, and uh, Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse is also in it. Yeah, Kevin Spacey. Uh, yeah, Mickey Mouse. Yeah, <laughs> I, like I said, um, <laughs> son of a bitch. What is that movie called? It's so Come good. Come on, Dustin. You've got to know. Uh, what are we talking about? Kate, uh, oh, my God. Uh, Kim Basinger. Kim Basinger. Thank you. We've got literally... L.A. Confidential. There, we there go. it is. Thank That's you. Cool. God. Uh, Arthur and I were both about to have a stroke. I was like, what are y'all talking about? Oh, L.A. Confidential. God. Yes. Yeah, L.A. Very Confidential. Good. Everybody was screaming at their iPhone. Uh, what? Yeah, well, why are you bringing up L.A. Confidential? Well, it's the same idea with Guy Pierce, right? He has to get his hands dirty. He's this kind of very prim, rules-adjacent yeah. fellow, and by the end of the movie, he has to play on Russell Crowe's level to... Uh, get stuff done right yeah, i mean the whole conceit of the film right like jamie fox at the you know the prologue of this film very clearly doesn't feel comfortable with the deal that he has made but he's doing it because he knows and then, well, this is the other bullshit thing right it, it, it creates this like absurd this fictional uh conviction percentage thing which is real i mean obviously da's have to deal with this kind of stuff but it doesn't come 
they make the plea deal. They deal with it like batting averages, yeah. and that's not cool. It's the Wait. same. It's the same subplot from Mighty Ducks. Yeah, and again, this is a thing that does happen. I'm sure. Like, I, it does not. This is what happens when uh, uh, positions that are required for the function of a society become like political appointments. These things happen, but it, they get these conviction rights by by like getting people to plead out to like drug possession it's not murders they don't plead out murders for five years murders get pled out but not like this murders that get pled out are murders that don't make the news yeah and i want to say this before we move into that whole plea deal situation and the the legal system and analysis uh in terms of just the redemption of jamie fox's character he sucks so bad throughout everything he's he's yes. neglectful of his family he's only comp- c- caring about his batting average doing all these sort of things flirting and he, with leslie bibb a whole lot mm-hmm. and who, he, by the way says there's what, what was the there's a line about uh, i'm 35 there's things i'm not gonna have now what the Shut up. Yeah. Is this movie saying Leslie Bibb can't have a child? Yeah. Shut I, the that's fuck ridiculous. up. Ridiculous. 35? In Are 2009. She's got a great job. She's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, she, anyway, sorry. Nonetheless, he goes through all of the uh, t- twists and turns of this, making some pretty, you know, morally. Not yeah. ambiguous, but bad decisions. Again, setting up Gerard Butler to die um, at the end, although not not technically causing his death, whatever. No, he uh, put the bomb in his cell. He yeah. murdered him. Yeah, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, yeah, he knows exactly what he's doing. And the way the screenplay works, the redemptive arc is that because he has finally killed this guy, now he cares he about easy. his family. He can <laughs> yeah. sleep easy. He's going to cello recitals and watching his daughter, and he's a good father now because takes. he killed Gerard Butler. He was always bad. You're right. The movie sets up. Like he feels bad about this plea deal, but he's doing it to protect like his his reputation. career and yeah. his reputation. And there's no moral. There's no arc. Well, if you start he's... killing people who who got it coming, then you're a good person. That's it. If yeah. you're a person who works the system, you're a bad person. Yeah, Gerard Butler just wild eyed, being like, "You vital." Like, I mean, even that though, right? Like, even a moment where Gerard Butler's like, "I'm so glad you killed me." I'm so glad you you murdered me. You did it. Like he did the Kevin Spacey uh, thing. There needs to be a real, yeah, a real Joker Batman moment, right? Like where it's like, ah, finally, I have been outmatched and outsmarted. Like he he's he seems surprised that he's been got, which is the wrong way to play that scene. Mm -hmm. He should be delighted that Jamie Foxx figured it out. But instead of losing his soul, he finds it. Yeah, and that's he should become a villain at the end of the film. Like that's that's the ending that lets this scummy movie be like, oh, cool, this is a scumbag's film, sick, and that's fun. But yeah, he goes a damn cello recital. Like he's a he's been a terrible father. Yeah, but now he's good dad because he can kill people. <laughs> Gerard Butler has been able to kill people the whole time. Yeah, his wife and child. Well, he was There's a great his, dad. Yeah, he was a very good dad. The more people you kill, the better the dad you are. Boy, that scene is rough. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a hard watch. And it doesn't hurt or help that Gerard Butler's not great in it. No. It's a gross scene. It's not fun. So, yeah, there's that. So, um, the next thing, though, we do want to talk about plea bargaining and just the legal system in general and how it works. Salt and use your diploma. Oh, um, I've said everything I've got to say. Go listen well, to Serial Season well, 3. Well, here, here's the thing that the movie seems to suggest, and yes. it is a very, very, you know, kind of conservative set of talking points, is that we live in a system where people do these ter- – I always see on Facebook, you know, these sort of um, sentence comparisons where somebody is sentenced, you know, for this amount of time for this particular crime, mm-hmm. and then there's another, but you know, obviously more heinous crime that's on the books, and this person goes to jail for less, and mm-hmm. how that, you know – those things work 
and piecing that all together. And, uh, you know, um, Jamie Foxx's line, which is aping the line from, um, you know, Dalton's favorite 10 year old film, um, when, uh, that would, when he was 10 years old. Yeah, the film's older than that now. But, um, did you, did you happen to watch a movie? Yeah, when you... I saw Training Day when I was 10. Okay. Yeah, well, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry for ever introducing a recurring bit. <laughs> I'll never do it again. Not too late for that. He said, knowing but it, he was a liar. That same line, you know, where, you know, it's, it's not what you would know or it's what you can prove. Yeah. And, I mean, that's all, all fine um, to sort of talk about that that's part of what the legal system does. But what ends up happening in the conservative talking point is sometimes innocent people, or rather guilty people, get away with crimes. Or people who ought to be being punished more get less punishment because we are too lily-livered, we're too bleeding heart, we're too namby-pamby um, to allow somebody um, to get really what they deserve. Ah, uh, yes, the American prison system, noted for its delicacy and its charm. And, and and I guess the idea is that the counterpoint for this film and the counterpoint for the conversation is, do you want a system in which sometimes innocent people are found guilty? Or do you want an, a legal system in which occasionally guilty people are found innocent? Well, that's and that's the thing, right? That's a false preposition to even uh, like start from. It's, it's a false premise. Right. Because both things happen. Both things happen. Both things happen all the time. But which would you prefer? And you want to procure, you want to create more protections where it is harder to put somebody in jail. It's harder to get somebody to the needle. It's harder to make the bad thing, to, to have punishment occur than it is to have it not occur. Because if it's harder, that means, again, you have... I don't know, evidence beyond the reasonable doubt. Yeah. And those kind of things would be a good idea. And again, the, the, the talking point is you've got to do this in order to, you know, really make, cause how, you know, the injustice of one person getting away. And yeah, sometimes that happens, but I would rather that happened. I would rather a hundred people who deserve to be in prison go free than one person get wrongfully murdered by the state. Right. Or wrongfully just lose 10 years of their lives. uh, Yeah, okay. We don't mean, you're right. We don't even make it a death penalty thing. Prison's bad. Yeah. (laughs) It's just not good. It's whatever your feelings on it, whatever your feelings on plea deals. I don't think we even need to get into it that far, right? Because we'll, we can get on the soapbox and we will. But we don't, you know, whatever your feelings on it are, plea deals help function, uh, help the judicial system function. We are inundated. Regardless of how you feel about them, we've already got a system that is set up to have more load than it can possibly bear. There are not enough prosecutors or defense attorneys. Or courtrooms. Or courtrooms, exactly, to currently give everyone a fair and speedy trial by a jury of their peers. It, we don't, it can't happen. If we gave everybody that's got a pending case a jury trial right now, we wouldn't be able to charge any more persons for the next century probably well, we, none of us would go to work again because we'd all have jury we would duty. all have jury duty forever that's the thing people don't even like having jury i love having jury duty I mean, this is i know it's a real uh on brand thing for me to say it's like oh i love jury duty so much the one time i had it but i, I don't know i think it's cool uh i was I so sad i didn't get selected I, I did i got selected and i was so happy uh it was a bummer we don't even talk about the case it sucked actually mm, yeah. but i i think uh this is part of the problem, right? We have a disconnect. The people who like to get out and say the criminal justice system is broken on Fox News, sure, they think it's broken, but they haven't actually interacted with it on a day-to-day basis, right? They haven't actually had to be taking part in it. And if any of them have, it is on the prosecutor side of it. Those mm-hmm. are the people that get to talk on television usually. And occasionally you'll get a you know, a judge or a, a, a public, defend, uh, public defender that'll 
talk about what it's really like, and that's that's great. But you're, you're right, Dustin. That that is the conversation that is usually getting started. Is isn't it so messed up that people go free? Yeah, okay, sure. But isn't it so messed up that people have to plead guilty to things they haven't actually done? Right. Yeah, and I, again, I think the sort of telling point in the film is his um, bail argument uh, with, uh, again, the judge um, who's played by an actress who I know from the West Wing. Yeah. Um, and she's just doing a very good job. You're absolutely That's the scene where the movie really kind of lays its its theories on the table in a very gross way. And so he knows the legal precedences, and he knows what they have and what they don't have. And, you know, in a system in which you don't have any experience sculptory evidence you have no real um connection to the crimes you um and you have no you know history and those kind of things and you can also cite some legal precedent in those cases a person ought to be granted bail that is what ought to happen whether they did it or not this is again the protections so that you can't hold everybody without bail so it again it's it's protecting to make sure that those who are not guilty you know have the full access to everything that they can have you know because when you're outside prison it's a lot easier to put together your defense than it is from within the walls of a prison, I'm just saying. Um, your meetings with your attorney and all those kind of things are a lot easier to schedule and get done. That's why it's there. And yes, it may indeed serve crime lords and terrible people and Joker villains at times, but... F- f- fictionalities. This is, everybody wants to be prepared for a fictionality that will not occur. Right. Or if it occurs... It's honestly something we're not going to be prepared for anyway, mm-hmm. right? We, we fucking executed Timothy McVeigh, right? We, we know how to deal with uh, mass murders. We, we can do it. It's fine. We'll figure it out. But we don't need to be that concerned with people walking around with uh, rock cocaine versus powder cocaine. Right. Because this is really where it gets put into play. And I think that's the thing we're skirting around is we're always talking about the U.S. criminal justice system as if it's actually a criminal justice system that is inundated with violent crime. It's not. It's inundated with nonviolent drug offenses. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the other side of it, and you mentioned this earlier, is the uh, desire or the real requirement to plea bargain even when you're innocent because it is easier, less expensive, and uh, overwhelmingly going to cost you less if there is enough evidence to prove or at least you know get a jury to side against you um, that that risk isn't worth it, that people will do the math problem real quick and say, well, I can go to jail for two years and have five years of probation now, I'll take, or well, I'll take five to ten. Or I'll take a mystery misdemeanor over a felony any day yeah you can walk away from a misdemeanor mm-hmm. anybody can bounce back from a misdemeanor right a hard bounce back from a felony right even if you know you didn't do it you know if you lose that felony trial and when you finally do get out after having to survive the american penal system now you got a felony yeah and that goes on every so you job take the misdemeanor the and you take life. the probation mm-hmm. i mean that this is how plea bargains function in the american criminal justice system and, and it, it's it's a bummer that this movie just wants a world to exist that doesn't exist, right? Well, and the uh, the other side of it is not just simply the math of how long versus what the final, you know, end results are. It's the ability a person has, a defendant has to actually wage defense because that costs money. Attorneys mm-hmm. are expensive, mm-hmm. and overwhelmingly those who are charged with crimes are not people who have the financial means to put an attorney on retainer and then uh be able to pay out whatever additional cause will happen at the end of that trial. Well, I mean, this maybe kind of circles us to an interesting thing about the film, right? Like the the fact that it's uh, Jamie Foxx is in the DA role and Gerard Butler is in the uh, the villain role is is good. I and mean, it was all, uh, almost the other way around. Apparently, at one point, yeah, it got it got swapped late. Like Jamie Foxx was on, somebody was on board, and I can't remember if it was Gerard was on as the DA or Jamie was on as. 
but it, at some point it was brought up that we could they could switch and uh everybody was like this is a great idea we absolutely this movie's better if everybody switches let's do that but it, it goes to show that nobody's really thought about the characters that much because all the performances are bad but there is the, the i mean as you pointed out, I mean, the people that are uh, most having to deal with the American criminal justice system are poor black and brown people. I mm-hmm. mean, that's the, that's the thing we haven't said that has just kind of been on the table. And the, the racial politics of this film are non-existent in a way that is, uh, presumes a world that doesn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. Again, this is a movie, we talked about this off-air, that comes from that mid-90s era where you could put Denzel Washington in the siege and not acknowledge that Denzel Washington is a black man because Hollywood thought, oh, we don't have to talk about that anymore, right? We no, of, we, of course you do. And you don't have to talk about it. It's honestly a more interesting movie when you don't. But the film needs to, at the very least, have actors who are engaging with the subtext of a scene, have a director who's encouraging people to engage with the subtext of the scene. I just Again, everybody needs to be encouraging with uh, engaging with the film's text and there's not really any depth to law-abiding citizen is the problem. It it's this this fantasy of a a white man who is wrongfully convicted by a black man, which is again the opposite of what typically happens. Uh, amusing. That's that's a fun place to start the movie from to begin with. The fact that the movie doesn't seem to know that that's the opposite of what usually goes down is absurd. Right. Uh, and, and I think hurts it, right? I mean, because that kind of feels like what we've been dancing around this entire time. Yeah, and that's why I'm frustrated with F. Gary Gray, because he should know better. Yeah. I mean, that's what you've been working up to. Yeah. yeah. Just, you should. Why would you do this? It seemed like a good idea on paper. You look, you take the job. It sounds fun. There's going to be a phone bomb. There's a, a machine gun that's automated. A guy gets buried alive. A dude gets cut. Like, this movie sounds like a ton of fun on paper, I'm sure. I, I, I'm sure, like, before it got... And again, at, at one point, it, it was it was Jamie Foxx, right? It, Jamie Foxx was the, the wrongfully convicted man. And then they switch role. Like, I'm sure there were points at... Pre- uh, sometimes the movie you sign up for isn't the movie that comes out, yeah. I guess is what I've been looking for. Yeah, I mean, you look at your producers, you look at your executive, you look at the studio. It, I mean, Kurt Wimmer is also a producer on this. I yeah. mean, he's going to have to say somewhere else. The things that... The, the, the ways movie get, gets made is dumb. <laughs> it's so dumb I can't even make words about it good. I, my brain has ceased to function properly. Like, Solo. They had shot basically that whole movie when they hired Ron Howard. The, the fact that any movie gets made is absurd. Right. Yeah. Hollywood is a crazy, crazy machine. Now, the other sort of legal system sort of, again, uh, ideological analysis that I think this movie lends itself to is this idea of the terrorist on the loose. And I really thought of The Dark Knight quite a lot. I did too, yeah. Um, and that sort of joker on the loose yeah. and tapping the cell phones yeah. and mm-hmm. violating what civil liberties you might have to violate in order to just protect society. It feels like this movie probably like was already in production when Dark Knight came out and got super fast-tracked to make sure it was in production by the end of 08. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it definitely has that feel of... We have to stop this man, and it does not matter what the law is. It does not matter what's right. There are certain circumstances and certain situations where civil liberties stop mattering in favor of security, which is a dangerous, dangerous road. I mean, and you know, I mean, Dark Knight is wise enough to sort of uh, muddy the waters and throw some ambiguity in there with that whole Caesar conversation, right? About how you can sort of you know rescind some of these um, basic things and give all authority to one person dangerous as it may be but then say yeah but the last guy that they did that with was you know caesar uh, julius caesar and that didn't go so shiny for the um republic afterward they don't quite get there with this it's just like yeah you should have just stopped this guy what you should have done is walked in. i mean the movie seems to suggest you should have walked into a cell put a bullet in his head and been done with it you caught who that was right 
What's that? Oh, you didn't catch who that was? The guy that literally has that line. It's uh, Michael Kelly. Oh, is it Michael Kelly? Yeah. yeah. Love oh, Michael oh, Kelly. Oh, the actor. Yeah, he's yeah. great. Yeah. He's so good. But yeah, that, I mean, that's literally what his character says is, yeah. you guys should have killed him. Yeah. The, the fact yeah. that you're tangled up with this dude is, you, you're, you're done. Sorry, yeah. I'm out of here. I love, love how he's like, no, you guys are fucked. Bye. Extraordinary yeah. rendition. Bring him to a black side and let him never find him again. Well, and that's the thing that's so interesting, right? Like the the whole reason he's such his like superpower, if you want to call it that, in this movie is that he worked for the CIA, killing dudes who were like hunkered down from bunker bombs, right? Like in theory, that's interesting. The United States has created uh, an entity that is all about doling out murder unquestioned jigsaw for the cia exactly what happens if jigsaw who works for the cia like gets wronged by the u.s and goes on uh on the warpath at home you know what happens all the time whoops sorry i'm from oklahoma city so you know i take that shit seriously Mm -hmm. but uh, i don't know man it's it's just a bad look that the movie doesn't interrogate that because it's an interesting idea because yeah. Viola Davis has uh, has that moment right where she's got all the guys gathered. She's like, "You're all from Homeland Security. You're telling me we can't kill this guy? You can't find me a legal precedent to just assassinate him? What's yeah. going on?" Uh, and it, it like walks up to the line of of knowing it's got something interesting to talk about and it just doesn't do it. Well, and then they go ahead and do it. They just kill the guy. I mean, they they put the bomb in a cell and let it blow up, which is fun. Yeah, it's a fun end of the movie, but again, there's just they finally in the last you know ten minutes got to something interesting, and they don't do anything with it, right? And again, and again, sort of just endorse Guantanamo Bay at that point. It's 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 not good. <laughs> it's yeah. a very ethically gross movie that again seems to exist in a period. Uh, long forgotten from before we were actually thinking about this stuff. Yeah. It's weird that this movie comes out almost 10 years after 9-11 because it is very much a post-9-11 movie that doesn't seem to want to acknowledge that it is. So here's the um, last thing I have on my mind, which is a screenwriting bit, um, just yeah. a narrative bit, and that is what's in the box. Um, the, the, the suitcase. What's in the box? What's in the box? Which is the great moment in Seven that works so well, and everything that happens with Brad Pitt's arc is just awesome. I mean, it's very, very good. In this film, so we've got all the super hyper planning. What we have in the the course of events is not them out planning the guy. It's just that they sort of discover some of the bits and pieces of what he was doing. Oh, they get lucky. They get lucky yeah. with how he's doing stuff, and they find the bomb, and they just said, hey, let's just stick it in his cell. Well, this comes back to what we were talking about, right? With The yeah. movie needs to let Jamie Foxx become a villain, yeah. right? It needs to let him outsmart Gerard Butler, and it never does. He he does not drive the story. The story just happens to Jamie Foxx. Right. The antagonist drives the story for the entire film in a way that is not good. I mean, yeah, the the, the, the better solution, the, I mean, it's gross, but the better solution is that they've got a cell blocker. You know, um, you, you can do that sort of thing where they they just press the cell phone signal, and you wait for him to hit send, like, you are going to kill all those people. Pow! And Jamie Foxx, with the pistol in his hand, puts a bullet in his head and says, all right, not enough said. I mean, yeah, again, there there are options, right? right. And the fact that this, it just, the whole film feels so slapdash. Like, again, no, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with, it might have been Stardust. Uh, we just had uh, cause not long ago to talk about a good screenplay, a film that, like, every, every moment, every action leads to the next scene. And that never feel like a law-abiding citizen should have that just be dripping with that, right? Like, right. it should be a big domino effect of a movie. And the one time we get that is Gerard Butler shiving a guy to death with a T-bone. Yep. 
And it's because so he can get to his secret hideout where he has uh, somehow managed to tunnel into all of the solitary holes, which is fun. It's fun. Like, yeah. He spent the last 10 years like digging tunnels under <laughs> Philadelphia. That's a cool idea. <laughs> but also this movie doesn't acknowledge that Gerard Butler spent 10 years building a subterranean tunnel system <laughs> under the city of Philadelphia. That's yeah. a fucking insane thing that happens in this movie. Yeah, that... It really squanders that twist. It, right. It's when they so show up cool. At the, uh... He has a lair. Yeah. They show up to his little uh, uh, manufacturing company outside the prison, but yeah. then they just like slow pan back to so it's next to the prison. That's a, that's it's, a bad reveal. It's a, yeah, it's, it's such a cool reveal in theory. And yeah, the way they do it is just oh. nobody has like a good CSI Miami line. Yeah. Nobody DJ Caruso's their sunglasses off. It's come on. You're making a dumb movie. Commit. Mm-hmm. Make some damn vape cinema. Come on. Right. No half measures. Yeah, I'm mad that this movie doesn't kick ass because, like, the more we talk about it, the more excited I get because on paper it sounds it's a great cool. Setup. Yeah, and, and and that is the failing of of, of screenwriting of, of just sort of the cinematic storytelling. Michael Mann, 1987. This movie kicks ass. Right. It's uh, reminiscent of another F. Gary Gray movie that we all hated, and that was the Italian Job. You're absolutely right. Yeah, squander the material. But, but I mean, but Dustin, to put Dustin's uh, actual like very good academic point back on, in focus, you're you're right. I mean, these are base screenplay things that we're talking about. Stories grow out of themselves, right? They don't just. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess B happens now. Yeah, it's like, oh, uh, well, we got a bomb now and something to do with it, and uh, so before he sets it off. Just put in his room. We don't know if it was Jamie Foxx's idea. We don't know if it was Cole uh, Mahaney. I don't know. Cole Meany's. Meany. That's it. Cole Meany's idea. Like we it yeah. just we just know that Cole Meany and Jamie Foxx are trapped, and they didn't tell anybody. And all <sighs> I could do was sit there and think about a van ride with a suitcase full of napalm on the way back from the courthouse to the prison. <laughs> and it's like I want that Wages of Fear movie. Is what I want. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> that could have been fun because they had to get the bomb to the prison like they had a limited amount of time to do it in right, right. they yeah. had to beat uh gerard butler back to his cell that's a fun movie that's that's the movie right there yeah give me all this bullshit and prologue <laughs> and then it's just them in the van we've already written three better movies and that's the thing that's so frustrating is all of the people in this this is a 50 million dollar hollywood film i look far be it for me to be a, a fussy consumer I, I give me give me that slop and I'll suck it down hey, with my streaming services. Right. Look, I am a fussy consumer because I, I like talking about film. If I see a fifty million dollar Hollywood picture, I expect it to at least be watchable. I started this movie uh, and stopped it and did not go back to watching it until like twelve at night because I was bored of playing Civilization. That's when I got around to watching this wow. movie. I tried to watch it, like, give it its due, like, really, like, block out 5 o'clock. I was going to, like, really prime time hours watch this movie, and I had to give it another six hours because I could tell within 20 minutes that was dog shit. And, uh, you know, $50 million project. I, again, I big movie stars. Give me something watchable. This feels like an asylum release. Yeah. I, I expect better uh, when you, you've got uh, high-priced talent on, on board. Well, I guess with that all in hand, we could render a verdict. Probably know where this one's going. <laughs> yeah, put it in the trash. Trash. I'm, mad. I'm so mad. Yeah. And all again, right. it comes down to the moments when, like, Dust, right there at the end, Dustin starts, like, tweaking the screenplay, like, three degrees one way, and it becomes a cooler movie. Ugh. Well, 
Well, they don't pay us to write. They can't all be winners, right? That's true. That's true. Some of them got to be bad, and I I like watching the bad ones from time to time and remind you why the good ones are so tasty. That's right. So, well, there you go, dear listener. This movie sucks. It's literally the thesis statement for this podcast uh, in some ways. And yet we did have a very interesting conversation about the way in which rhetoric is placed concerning um, security, concerning civil rights, concerning the legal system. We didn't even get to justice versus vengeance. I mean, that's a whole thing we could have talked about. Yeah, and and he's very, very clear. Gerard Butler's character is that the vengeance is not what this is about. It is. It, but it is, yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, and again, we didn't we don't need to talk about again, that. Again, if this movie was about me, it yeah. would be about vengeance. Like everything Gerard Butler does, I, I could see myself being willing to do as a parent. Dustin's making the Jeremy Solian version of this movie. I, I mean, yeah, you know, I that's mean, what I, he's doing. His I, I would, yeah. I would hope and pray that I would not break in this way. Yeah, it's a blue but, ruin. But to say that, yeah, yeah these you, things occurred. Yes, I would want to make every one of them pay and suffer, yeah. and it would be awesome, you know, in in a terrible, yeah. you know, awful, well, broken way. And write that character in a more interesting way, or at right. the very least, don't trust Gerard Butler. Yeah, for real. Uh, so yeah, it's trash. It's garbage. Uh, if you think we're wrong, uh, here's how you can make that happen. Uh, we're on Twitter at good underscore trash. We don't like being added though, as it turns out. So maybe send us an email about why we're wrong. That's good trash genrecast at gmail.com. If you think we're idiots and are, have, are sleeping on this, uh, this wonderkind example of a late aughts American cinema, let us know. Seriously. I, I would love to see the case that this is a good movie. I, I'm bummed because again, there's there's a good premise here. That's good trash genrecast at gmail dot com for that long form feedback. As I mentioned, we're on Twitter at good underscore trash. You don't need to be there if you're not already. It's a bad place. Uh, go ahead and do that uh, podcast thing. You've listened to one of these before. Uh, go rate, review, and subscribe wherever you do that. If you like what we're doing here, if you've been listening for a while and think it's fun, you can go to patreon.com forward slash gtm to help us keep the lights on. And that's the end of this boring part. All right, um, I'm done. I'm sleepy. Yeah. That's uh. That's it. Yeah, that's this, it. Are we ending on this one? No, absolutely not. Uh, Dustin we, said he was done. I'm no. done. I quit. Oh, he says it every week. Don't listen to him. Okay. What are we doing? Uh, you told me, and I got excited. and I forgot. Well, uh, we've we've dealt with the Russian military complex. We've dealt with the judicial system. Next next week, we're going to deal with uh, with the fallout of Vietnam and PTSD when we do First Blood. Oh my God, Rambo! That's right. We've been talking yes. about doing this. Ooh. In honor of Last Blood, uh, which comes out on September 20th, we're going to be dropping our episode over First Blood. Here's a fun thing about Last Blood. I saw a trailer for Last Blood in front of, in front of Ready or Not. They just put that. Uh, the, all the English is subtitled in Spanish. All the Spanish in that trailer, not subtitled. All the big splashes of like text in Spanish. Huh. Very interesting. The marketing plan for Last Blood. Yeah. Huh. I know. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw like just a handful of images, and I have inside my head this version Stallone, of that. Stallone alone. Stallone. Home Stallone. Stallone playing Brian Dennehy from First Blood. That's what I have in my head. That he's, oh. but I don't think that's what's happening. But I want that movie so no, bad it's, now. Yeah, he he he's Stallone alone. It's yeah. it's Skyfall with the cartel. Yeah, yeah. It's Straw Dogs. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna talk about First Blood though, which is a film I have never seen. I'm very <gasps> excited to watch it. It's fun. One of my dad's favorite uh, franchises. Really? Yeah. That makes sense. Well, yeah. But this is the this is before he he be, starts rescuing PO, POWs in Vietnam and Afghanistan, right? This yeah. is this is the sad one. Yeah. This is the sad one. This okay. is it's probably the most um well, the one with the most heart, I would I say. say yeah. I like art. So. All right. Let's well, do it. All right. Well, you keep watching. We'll keep talking. We'll see you all next time. <laughs>